If you would, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. <clears throat> one life to live, one life to give, part 3. So for the last few weeks, I've been trying to help us be more cognizant of the fact that we have one life to live for God. One life to live for God. If we're not born-again believers, the one life is, well, make the most of it. Look up for number one. Have fun, enjoy it, get the most out of it. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's a different premise. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, it says, what? Know ye not that your body is the what? Temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. So if we truly know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have a different purpose. We have a different premise that we are living this life with. And the, life, and the premise is this, is that this life that we have is not ours. It's God's. And I hope that we've been challenged in a way that can make us at least consider, is there something that God wants to do with my life? Is there a direction that God is trying to take me? Is there something that God is pressing upon my heart to do, to be, that I might live my life to, to His glory? But hopefully we've come to the conclusion that God wants to use each and every one of us to accomplish great things through us for His glory. Um, there's something about living life for God. There's no greater joy, there's no greater excitement than to be part of something bigger than ourselves. It's an amazing thing to consider that there are so many things that we could be doing, but all of us working together, this local assembly with other local assemblies around the United States, around the world, we can accomplish something greater than ourselves for the glory of God. And hopefully we're not putting off letting God use us right now. I hope that we've been thinking about what is it that God may be doing. And let me just kind of give a little bit of a confession here as a pastor. We preach, get involved, don't we? I mean, you hear that all the time, right? Get involved, do something, let God use you. And then you walk out and say, yeah, yay, rah, rah, I want to do something. I want God to use me. And then we walk out and say, well, what in the world am I supposed to do? Anybody ever felt that way before? I'm like, I am so guilty of that. Get involved! And I didn't tell you how. I just want you to think about being used of God and not worrying about where you might be gifted or where you might not be gifted, what might be comfortable or what might not be comfortable, because I believe that God gives you everything you need to do what He calls you to do. I believe that, and we see that throughout Scripture. But for these last few weeks, I want you to just think about what is it that I should or could be doing for God? This year, you're going to have some opportunities to take another step. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to see God do some great things. I'm praying that this is the best year ever in the history of this church. I'm praying for that. I want to see God do some huge things this year. And I really, truly, honestly, before God Almighty, believe that he's going to. But we can't do it alone. See, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about us being usable for God. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. So let us start with uh, James chapter 4. And can I just ask all of us, I'm just going to pray in just a moment. But I want us to consider two questions. Number one, will you consider taking another step for God? Just right there. Will you consider taking another step for God in your service, in your work for the Lord, 
just take another step of obedience for God? Will you obey what God may be asking you to do? And then number two, will you pray about how God may... It's one thing to say, well, I'll do it. But then secondly, pray about how God will use you and say, God, give me the strength, the ability, the wherewithal to do it. So just consider and then pray about it. No sense in praying if you're not going to be considering what God may want you to do. Just kind of, because you kind of go in sequence. Yeah, God used me. Now I want to pray about where. See, one of them is about your will, one of them is about his. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to come before you this day. And I ask God that as we wrap up this short series on one life to live, one life to give, Lord, that we would just once again just contemplate that even though this is something we've heard a thousand times in our lifetime, we've heard it a thousand times in the last eight years since I've been here. Lord, our life is short. We have one life. We have one opportunity to do something in this life to make it count for eternity. And I ask God that all of us in this room would consider what our next step might be, another step might be, in walking more closely to you. And then, Lord, as we pray about that, might we be open to wherever your Spirit leads us, however the Spirit may lead us. Lord, we ask that you would be in complete control of our lives, not just to be challenged by what we should or could be doing, but to actually change to doing it. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and the glory for whatever it is that you see fit to accomplish. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. If you would follow along as I read those verses right now. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a, a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Several questions came to my mind as I was reading this passage of Scripture. The first question that came to my mind is, is this you? And uh, I'll just say that the you is, I'm first of all talking about me. Is this you? Ken, are you this one that he's talking about? Are you the one saying that today or tomorrow I'll do this or that? But maybe you should put yourself in that verse, in in that context as well, and answer that question. Is this you? Are you the one putting off becoming more commitment to God? Is it you who are saying, well, tomorrow I'll do this or that? I can't tell you how many times over the years that someone has said, well, you know, life is just really crazy right now. You know, things are going on in work, things are happening at school, things are happening, and it's just like crazy busy. And uh, so therefore, you know, I'll put off doing what God may be prompting my heart to do, and I'll be getting more serious a little bit later. A little bit later, I'll get more involved. A little bit more later, you know, and, and we make excuses as to why we don't do what God may be prompting us to do. So he says, is it, you know, first question, is this you? Are you putting off becoming more committed to Jesus Christ? The second question or statement that came to my mind is, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. 
none of us has the guarantee of tomorrow. I think for two reasons. Number one, Proverbs 27, verse 1 says, Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. There's not a one of us in this congregation this morning that knows what's going to happen tomorrow. We can make plans, we can put things on a calendar, but there is absolutely no guarantee that any of those things will happen. So for us to say, well, I'll get serious later, or I'll be, God use me more later, we don't have that guarantee. We don't have the guarantee of tomorrow. How many times in the last few months have I heard the story of somebody in their 40s, somebody in their lower 50s, who just keeled over of a heart attack for no apparent reason, got a clean bill of health one week, and two weeks later they're dead. I don't know about you, but I'm hearing more and more of this stuff. It's happening all the time. People every day die who did not plan to die. Every day someone gets in an accident and they're killed. They're rushed into eternity. Every day people pass away who did not intend on passing away that day. Say, well, am I trying to scare you? No, I'm just trying to help us realize that none of us has a guarantee of tomorrow. We need to use today, today, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? The second reason is this. Not only do we not know when we're going to die, we don't know when Christ is going to come. The question is, are you going to be ready? Will you be ready? If the Lord were to come tonight, would you be ready? Let me ask this third question. If you knew that Jesus Christ was coming tonight at 8.04, what would you do differently to prepare for it? If you knew that Jesus Christ was going to appear at 8.04.13 p.m. tonight, what would you do differently? Is there some relationships that need to be made right? Is there some sins that need to be forgiven? Is there some obedience that needs to take place? We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when Christ is going to come. We've got to live for God now. Now. The third thing that came to my mind as I was reading this passage of Scripture in James 4 was this. Your life is as a vapor. I know you've heard me say this many times over the years, and God's Word gives us numerous illustrations of this. The bottom line is, in Psalms, he talks about our life being as smoke, as dust. Chronicles talks about our life being as a dust and as a shadow. Now we read in James 4 that our life is but a vapor. What's the big, big, big point here? Bottom line is, on the time frame of eternity, on this big line of eternity, you're just a little speck. Just one tiny little speck in time. You know what a vapor is? How many of you have ever been by a large body of water? One of the great lakes, one of the oceans. And you're standing there along the shore, and when one gust of wind comes, it's almost like your face is wet. And with the next gust of, gust of wind, your face is dry again. That's a vapor. How long did it take to get wet and then to dry? Seconds. And God says that's what our life is comparative to. Our life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time, then vanishes away. So what are we doing to make an impact in this little life, this vapor that God has given us? To give an impact on eternity. We've said many times throughout life, the last several years, that there are only two things that span the test of time. The souls of men and the Word of God. Now, we do things in this life, but everything that we do ought to cater to one of those two avenues. Why do we improve ourselves? So that we have an opportunity. Why do we have a job? So that we have a mission field. 
so that we can take care of our family. Everything comes around to the two things that God has created us for, so that we might know Him and make Him known. Everything should fall into those categories. We have to guard areas of selfishness. Another thing came to my mind. I wonder if I could, or should, or ever, consider this approach. If the Lord wills. That's what he says here in this passage. Uh, He says in verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. I wonder how often we, and I put myself in this category, two hands and a foot. I put myself in this category. I wonder how often we and I stop and think about how I'm planning my day, my week, my want, my month, my year, in, in my established things that I'm trying to do and accomplish. I wonder if I ever say, I wonder what the Lord wants in all this. If the Lord wills, I'm going to do this, but Lord, I'm surrendering my plans to your plans. I'm willing to take a step back and say, God, what is it that you want to do in and through my life? God, I'm willing to put aside what I want to do what you want. Have I ever just taken a moment to consider what this scripture is saying? If the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. Do we ever just take a moment and stop and think and just just wait? Or are we trying to kick doors open and say, God, thank you for opening the door when it's not really meant to be? That's hard. Who doesn't want to improve our life? Who doesn't want to take another step in our, in our family life or our careers? Or what? I mean, That's all of us. That's me. That's why I'm working on a master's degree and several others you are. We want to improve. But I wonder how often in just the day-to-day do we stop and say, Lord, is this really what you want me to do? Lord, do you want me to buy this? Do you want me to go there? Do you want me to talk to so-and-so? I mean, I have all these plans, but God, I want you to know that my plans are submissive to yours. I surrender my will to yours. Because if the Lord wills, we should do this or that. And he reminds us here in the text... He says, verse 16, but now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. The boast. I looked that up. So you boast in your arrogance. I really wanted to know what that meant in the language. And the best I can tell, it's empty talk. It's empty talk. You boast and just flap your jaws, and really you are saying nothing. But you think you're saying something. Making yourself feel good. You make yourself look good in front of others. It really is just empty talk. It's braggadocious talk. It's exaggerative talk. You know, you went fishing, you caught two fish, but man, I had a great day. I caught my lemon, I caught 12. No. You caught a big fish, it's only this big, but you know, telling the story, it's this big. It's braggadocious. It's, it's, it's exaggerative. It's empty. It's idle words. So what's he saying here? Put it in the context. Today I'll, you know, today I'm going to take it easy. You know, I'm just going to kind of think about, you know, t- tomorrow I'll get more serious. T- t- my empty talk. Empty talk. Because it all comes down to your motives and your, you know, and what's really in your heart. He says, instead you boast. 
But here's where he culminates this, all of this. Let me, let me read it one more time here. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy, sell, make profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. In other words, be active. Use the time that God gives you right now. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Then he culminates it in verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, say it with me, to him it is sin. Wow. Aren't those really strong words? Does anyone else think those are strong words? All five of you. Great, that's good. He says to him that knows to do what's right and to know to do what's good and doesn't do it is in sin. Wow. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but put your thinking caps on just for a moment. What is it that you know you should be doing that you're not doing? You see, I found in my own life, I'm not a murderer. Just so you know, I'm not a murderer. Whew. I haven't stolen anything lately that I know of, not intentionally, not purposely. I haven't even thought about stealing anything lately. Um, see, uh, lying? I haven't told a lie that I know of in the last few days. I, I can't think of any lies that I purposely told. Um, yeah. Pretty good, right? Yeah. Well, it's, you should be. You're a preacher. No. Cut me a bleed red like you. I'm just saying, I'm pretty good at not doing certain things. Just like you. But I wonder about, we see, you hear this phrase, sins of omission, sins of commission. See, I'm not really guilty of a lot of sins of commission. I haven't committed any major crimes. I mean, I haven't. Got no police record, got nobody asking about me that I know of. I haven't committed a lot of those heinous crimes. I mean, those, you know, scale 1 to 10, 10 crimes. I haven't done those. Maybe one or two, but no 10s. I mean, what about the sins of omission? You know, the things that you're supposed to be doing, but you've omitted them from your life. Like time and prayer. Let's be honest now. Amen or oh me. When's the last time you spent some time in prayer with the Lord? When's the last time you spent time reading His Word and just listening to the heart of God as He speaks to you? Let's be honest. Not guilty of committing certain crimes and sins, but what have I omitted from my life that's supposed to be there? When's the last time I've shared my faith with somebody, anybody? quiet near. That's what I'm talking about. To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's... Oh, I hate that word. hate that word. And you know what? I don't know about you. I'll speak for myself now. 
I can rationalize why I haven't spent three hours yesterday in prayer. I'm busy. Anyone else not busy? That's what I thought. So you can probably rationalize just like I can. Probably just as good as me. Maybe, maybe better. I don't know. I can justify why I haven't talked to anybody about Jesus in the last few days. I mean, I have things to do. I have places to go. I have things to get done. Right? Anybody else? You can relate? I've omitted that from my life. I, sh- I know I should be doing that, right? I mean, anybody disagree with that? Any disagreement with that? That's what I thought. We're all in the same boat. It's a big boat, isn't it? But here's the deal. To him that knows to do right, to do good, and doesn't do it, it's sin. So he says, is this you? Are you the one putting this off? Are you the one that's saying maybe tomorrow I'll get a little more serious, a little more committed? Um, But you have to know that we don't have the guarantee of tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when Christ is going to come. And our life is but a vapor. And maybe we ought to take a step back and consider if the Lord wills you should do this or that now. Don't put it off. Don't boast in idle talk and empty words and saying I'll do something better later, more later. Because the bottom line is, if we don't do what we're supposed to do, it's sin. So how do I align my life so that I can be used of God and make the most of this life? We're talking about one life to live, one life to give. How can I align my life so that I can make the most of it? Here's the first thing. I'm going to give you three things. Number one, make a deliberate commitment to God. What does that even mean? Make a deliberate commitment. Commitment means deliberate. I am purposefully, purposefully saying I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to commit myself. It's not a question of whether or not I have time. It's not a question of whether or not I have money. It's not a question of whether or not it works into my schedule. I am all in. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 80 says this, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. He made a deliberate commitment to say, I will go. I will be. I will do. I will be that person that God wants me to be and fulfill His will. You see, you can't waver. You see, when you're half in, half out, it doesn't help anybody. How do you like it when someone joins the basketball team and there's only seven people on the team and the bottom line is, well, you got three of them that, well, you know, if it's convenient, I'll be at practice. If, you know, if it's not, I won't. Then all of a sudden, someone else gets hurt and all of a sudden you're needed, but oh, you don't know the play because you weren't at practice. How does that help us? See, half in, half out doesn't work. Bottom line is God wants you to make a deliberate commitment. He wants you to Say, hey, this is the way it's going to work. This is the way my my commitment is made and my decision is made and it's deliberate and I'm not backing off on it. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't straddle the fence. You either in or you're out. The bottom line, if you're in Jesus Christ, He lives within you. You're not your own. So the decision ought to already be made. 
But he reminds us that you can't serve two masters. You can't live for the things of God and the things of the world at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Be intentional about your commitments. And when we say be intentional about your commitments, avoid shallow commitments. Avoid them. So what in the world is a shallow commitment? I think there's three things that describe shallow commitments. Number one, they're emotional. Number two, they're sporadic. And then number three, they're incomprehensive or careless. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, what are New Year's resolutions? Are they emotional? Often aren't they sporadic? And aren't they usually carelessly thought out? Right? That's a shallow commitment. Because this year, for my New Year's resolution, I'm going to lose 30 pounds. Until we really realize that we love cake and pie. I mean, just it's just, it's there. I mean, I love it. And I'm just telling you, as I tell my kids, I mean, if one steak is good, two's better. I mean, come on. I love steak. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just I love food. And that New Year's commitment that I'm going to make, it's just, it's just sporadic until... It really comes down to where the rubber meets the road, and I have to start saying no to some things. It's emotional. I mean, everyone knows you're supposed to have a New Year's resolution, right? I mean, in fact, many of us just got to the point where we just said, skip the resolution. I'm not even going to do it anymore. It don't work. Because it's emotional, sporadic, and carelessly thought out. So avoid those kinds of commitments. So what's the opposite of that? When you jump all in, have a plan. What's the plan? I am going to surrender everything that I am and want to do and to be to God. God, what is it that you want to do through my life? Yes, I'm going to get up and go to work every morning. But when I go to work, I'm going to work knowing that this is my mission field. And I'm going to do the best I can for the glory of God, not for that boss who may be a jerk. I'm God's child. I'm living for him. And he may be a jerk, but that's okay. He's got to deal with it. I'm responsible for me. But we live life as though we have to be responsible for everyone around us. We're responsible for our own actions and reactions. Right? So make a plan. And the plan ought to include that I daily surrender myself to Him. I commit my plans to Him. In fact, Proverbs tells us over and over that if we will submit our plans to Him, He'll establish our way. You want to be having an established way? Surrender. So consider your life, how you will give your life in service to God. How do I do that? I think there's three good questions. Number one, how has God gifted you? It's not about just your gifts, but how has God gifted you? How has God gifted you to serve Him? We are talking this week a little bit, and I was talking with Mike. I said, you know, he goes, I can't do what you do. And I said, God knows I can't do what you do, because those numbers mean nothing to me. I mean, having supercomputers to figure out the world's unsolvable problems does nothing for my well-being. Nothing. I don't understand rays refracting through this and algorithm. God has not gifted me that way. Thank you, Lord. But how has God gifted you to serve Him for His glory? Number two. Where has God burdened you? Where has God burdened you? I have a tendency to believe that if God's given you a burden to serve and you're not serving, you're in sin. So I don't know how to make it happen. Pray about it. Talk to us about it. 
talk to other people about it who will give you godly wisdom. But when God gives a burden, it's not just to say, okay, so I got a burden, big deal. What will you do in response to the burden he's given to you? You see, I learned a long time ago, when I was younger, first pastoring at 24 or 5 years old, I like, man, I want all these big agendas, right? And we got to do this and do this and do that and do this and twist everyone's arm to do something. But here's what I realized as I grew older. If I have to twist your arm to do something, A, your heart's not in it, and B, when I stop twisting, you stop doing. Pretty simple concept, right? So you know what I don't do anymore? I don't twist arms anymore. Because if God's not in it, I don't want to be a part of it. But when it's a burden that God places on your heart and not somebody twisting your arm to do it, it'll go on. I don't have to twist Becca's arm to get involved in compass care, right? Because you believe in it. God's given you a burden for that. I don't have to twist her arm. When God gives you a burden to do something for his glory, nobody has to twist your arm to do it. I may ask a question, but if it doesn't happen, I simply believe God's not in it at this time. So, how has God gifted you? Where has God burdened you to serve? And number three, where do you see a need? This is where God gets a little bit tricky at times. Well, Pastor, I noticed that we don't have a fill-in-the-blank. Pastor, I noticed that nobody's doing fill-in-the-blank. But it's usually something followed with, you should do this. And I just kind of laugh inside. Because if God's given you that ability to understand that there's a need there, maybe he wants you to do something about it. Because I don't need more on my to-do list just because you noticed it and you don't want to do it yourself. I mean, it sounds logical, right? I mean, right? So when you see a need, what are you willing to do in response to the need? Somebody else should do that. Maybe God wants you to do it. I appreciated when we had several trees fall down out here. And some of our younger guys, they just went out and did it. I didn't ask them to do it. They just went out and cut up the trees. Because they're in the way. They're down trees and they got to get them out of there. Do it. When you see a need, what are you willing to do about it? Well, if the Lord wills, today or tomorrow, yeah, we'll put it off. Someone else will do it. Well, maybe God doesn't want someone else to do it. Maybe he wants you to do it. So number one, make a deliberate commitment. Avoid shallow commitments. Number two, make certain of your surrender. I've heard this many times over the years where someone says, well, I gave my life to the Lord at such and such an age. I gave my life to the Lord at this circumstance, at this event. Make certain you're surrendered. I've heard this phrase over, over and over the years. Well, I've done this in the church, and I've done this in the church, and I've done this in the church, but it's someone else's turn. Because in Hezekiah 9.9, it says you come to retirement and service. Oh, wait, is there a Hezekiah 9-9? I'm not sure there is. Um, someone else's turn. 
Are you giving up on God? Are you saying, God, I don't want to be used anymore? I don't care how old you are, there's a place to serve. I 110% believe that. I don't care how young you are. Some of you may have seen a, I don't post a whole lot on Facebook, you all know that. But I passed, I posted this little thing of a little kid, you know, trying to, who had a nub arm, trying to put a bottle to his baby brother in the crib. He had no hand. He used his nub to get it in there. You know what that is? I'm going to do my part. I'm not going to wait for someone else that has hands to do it. Or, or the fellow who was vacuuming the church sanctuary in a wheelchair. You saw that one? He says, well, I'm in a chair. Someone else can do this. Skip this. i got to buy. <laughs> I don't have to do that one. He's just out there dragging the cord in his wheelchair, vacuuming. I just happen to believe that if you want to serve, if you want God to use you, he will. But if you make excuses, well, then there's excuses. Because that's the way it works. Nobody can twist your arm to do anything. Either you choose to do it or you don't. But I also believe that you're going to miss out on the blessings of serving if you don't. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Make certain of your surrender. You have to let go and let God take control of your life. You have one life to live, one life to give, and it's only going to happen that way is if you make certain your surrender to God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created unto what? Good works. He wants you to walk in good works. I won't read the entire passage for time's sake, but James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20, he goes on to say that this phrase, a couple times in the passage, faith without works is Wait, 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 say it again. Faith without works is dead. If, see, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So he says, you can't do enough works to save yourself. You can't be good enough. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. But, enter James 2, 14 through the end of the chapter. Faith without works, though, is dead. In other words, if I truly know Jesus Christ, I should want to work and serve him. Period. So, does that mean we're all going to be doing the same thing? No. In fact, it'd be an awful headache if we all tried to do the same thing. I'm glad I'm not working in the nursery every week. I would rather just see little Ian, throw him up in the air, catch him, give mom a heart attack, and walk away. But I do not want to teach in that class. <laughs> Hang out patience for that. All of us are gifted differently. Do your part for the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith without works is dead. If I truly know Jesus Christ, I should want to serve him in some capacity. Does that mean it all has to be done here at 1125 Calkins? No. But you should be working towards building the body of Christ. And if you're not, 
to him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's what? Sin. What's your service for the Lord? What's your work for God? What is it? What is it that you're doing for the Lord? Uh, I don't want to imply that there's a scale of 1 to 10, you know, and 10s are all in and 1s are just not quite cutting it. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. All of us do different things. But what are you doing to build the body of Christ for His glory? And then number three. Number one, make a deliberate commitment. Number two, make certain your surrender. And number three, make a new norm. In other words, I like this phrase that someone came up with. Burn the bridges behind you so that you don't go back to them. Burn the bridges behind you. It's easy during times of difficulty to run back to what you know. What is acceptable in your mind. To run back to what was easier. When you make a commitment for God, burn the bridge behind you. You need to focus on where God is using you and don't look back. So Paul said. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, I'm pressing towards the mark. In fact, he tell, Jesus tells us in the Gospels, no man that looks back is fit for the service. Burn the bridge behind you so that you're not tempted to run back to what you know is easier or comfortable or well-known. I want to read just two more verses and I'm done this morning. If you would turn over to Psalm 118. This is a new verse I found this week. I say new verse. I've read it before in the Bible because I've read it through. But this verse is really cool. It caught my attention. Psalm 118, verse 27. God is the Lord, and He has given us light. Okay, that sounds fair enough. We've read that before. There's nothing misunderstandable about that. But that last sentence. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Let me read that again. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. What does it mean to bind something? To bind something means that you're going to tie something up so it can't move, right? There we go. We're all on the same page. you got to get in your mind's eye the picture here. Let's just assume here there's an altar here, and we're putting a sacrifice on the altar, and he says, bind it up. Let me ask a question. Is what's laid on the altar going to get off the altar? No. Why do you have to bind it? I mean, if something's put on the altar, why do I have to bind it so it won't leave? See, when something is laid on the altar and it's sacrificed, it stays on there until its purposes are fulfilled. Think about that for a minute. How many of us have surrendered our lives to God? Just verbally, mentally, whatever, however you want to write it. You've sacrificed your life to the Lord. What is Romans 12.1? I beseech you therefore, brethren, those of you that call yourself children of God, 
believers in Christ, Christ followers, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You see, the only reason why something that is laid on the altar would have to be bound is if it's still alive and has the potential of getting off. But he tells us in Romans 12.1 to give your life a living sacrifice. In other words, stay on the altar to fulfill your purpose. If we've sacrificed our life on the altar for Jesus Christ, and we've given our lives as a living sacrifice, fulfill your purpose. Don't get off. You see, my fear is this. Maybe many of us in this congregation this morning has at some point in our life said, God, I surrender my life to you. Some of you can look back to a time in your life where maybe it was a, a special missionary guest speaker or an evangelist or a camp meeting or, or you went to a kid's camp and then someone spoke and you, it challenged you and maybe it was a church service at some point in your life and you say, God, I give you my life. But somewhere along the line, you got up off the altar. Come on. What you used to be committed to, you find yourself no longer committed to it. The purpose for which you gave your life to Christ is no longer being fulfilled. He says, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the elder. Why? So that that sacrifice can fulfill its purpose. Are you fulfilling your purpose for God? I don't know about you, but that's a hard question to answer sometimes. Because we have great intentions. And we're sincere, right? Is anybody not sincere in those decisions? I think all of us are. I mean, if push comes to shove, we want, want to be fully committed. We want to be fully surrendered. We want to be faithful. But there's this reality that we live with. The reality is is time restraints, commitments to other things, other people who vie for our time and attention. And it just kind of happens, quote-unquote, that we used to do, we no longer do, or the level of commitment we once have, we no longer have. And we somehow, inadvertently or on purpose, Remove that sacrifice. We no longer are as surrendered as we once were. In closing, I think there needs to be a time when we're willing to say, God, I'll let go of whatever it is that's holding me back. Luke 9.62 says, But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Ask yourself this question. Don't raise your hand. Just in your mind, just be honest. Just be honest. Am I willing to let go of some of the things that I'm holding tightly onto so that God could do something more with my life? I mean... I want to go this way, but I really don't want to. I don't want to let go of what I'm walking away from. I mean, it's so tempting to hold on to it. 
there are times in our life where we just say, I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go. And I'm going to keep focused on what God has for me. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? You and God know the answer to that question. I have no clue. I'm not going to try to booger that out of you. You know what it is. You know what you're holding on to. Sometimes it's just comfort. Sometimes it's just security. Sometimes it's just hope that something better is going to come along. Something different might captivate me. But how has God gifted you? Where has he burdened you to serve? Where has he given you an ability to see a need that needs to be fulfilled? What areas of commitments have you relinquished because other things took their place? Maybe it's an opportunity to say, God, I will re-surrender. I'll recommit. I'll reconnect. I'll re-engage. Thank God for startovers. I'm glad he's a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances, right? Amen? I'm glad for that. But maybe this morning, some of us need to say, God, man, I used to be more surrendered. I used to be more committed. I used to do more, and I've gotten lazy. I've gotten distracted. I've gotten out of focus. And today, God's challenged your heart. I want to re-engage. I hope that's us. Because I want to see God do something great in our midst. I really do. But no one, two, three, four people can do that. It takes the entire church walking in obedience to see God do something, to make an impact in this town. God's challenged me about that. There's some things I need to do, some things you need to do, some things that we need to do to see God do some great things for His glory.